0: So, I got up pretty early this morning to prepare for today's sermon, and as I was having my coffee, I procrastinated and browsed the paper and read an article uh, that I thought fit the theme of my sermon. It starts off like this. It was Boxing Day 2018 when my husband collapsed on our bedroom floor. He'd just brought our children home from Bondi Beach, and I was packing for a long-awaited family holiday. Nick was complaining of a worsening headache and went to lie down. My first thought was that it was a convenient excuse to avoid the kid's bedtime. But when I popped my head into checking in, he was lying on the floor a d- with a dark, uh, in the dark with a bowl filling with vomit beside him. Okay. When the ambulance arrived, the paramedic seemed convinced it was just a bad migraine. I hope so too. But by morning, we'd seen the CT scan. There was a large mass in the left frontal lobe, a tumour. Then when the pathology result came back, he was given the news that no 38-year-old wants to hear. Incurable malignant brain cancer. Imagine that. A man only 38 years old finding he had a short time left to live. Then his wife has to hear the news that the man that she loves will be leaving and that she'll have three children alone to raise. That's a lot of heartbreak for one family, isn't it? Everything must have really seemed like it was falling apart. In each of our lives, we're going to hit tough patches. Some of those rough patches are going to be really, really tough. Certainly, they were for Ruth and Naomi. Remember the story we looked at last week in the first chapter of the book of Ruth? Naomi and her husband and her two sons had moved from Bethlehem to a foreign land, Moab. There, Naomi's two sons got married. But terribly... Naomi's husband and her two sons then both died. They left behind three widows, Naomi, Orpah and Ruth. Naomi, a broken woman, returned to her hometown of Bethlehem in the hope that she could scrape by in a place where she spoke the language and understood the culture. Similarly, in a day when family connections meant everything, providing protection and safety, Orpah returned to her father's house, staying in her home country of Moab. And Ruth, though, having experienced life in a household that wasn't pagan, but instead was obedient to the living, invisible God, could not abandon her faith. She couldn't abandon her mother-in-law, whom she'd grown to love. So Ruth followed Naomi into what, for Ruth, was an unknown land, where she had no connections with anyone at all, and no real knowledge of the local customs. (coughs) And so Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem, grieving and in bitter pain. As Naomi put it, she had left Bethlehem full, and she had returned empty. That was a really rough patch for Naomi and for Ruth. Sadness, loss, pain, failure. That's just part of living in a fallen world, isn't it? That's a reality that each of us experiences at times. And for each of us, there is going to come a time when we are almost overwhelmed by what life seems to throw at us. Each of us is going to have a time when it seems like everything is falling apart. Perhaps you've already experienced such a time in your life. Or perhaps it's still become. come. In our 2nd last youth group, of the term we finished by praying and one of the youth kids prayed that God would help him and his sister deal with what they had witnessed earlier that day so I asked afterwards what had they seen it turns out they'd been at him's dam that morning with their dad earlier and while they were walking along they saw someone lying on the ground in the distance Mm. and so they ran towards him to investigate and help But as they got closer, they could see that he wasn't alive. It was clear that he'd only moments before jumped off the wall to his death. How incredibly sad, isn't it, when someone commits suicide? That man must have been in huge emotional distress and pain. The only way that he could see himself getting through it was to end it all. It's very sad, but suicide is actually really common in our society today. There are almost three and a half thousand people every year in Australia who die from suicide. Each one of us here has probably been touched in some way by someone we know who's committed suicide. It's really, really sad. But it's a path that, in one sense, is possible to understand, isn't it? When it seems like everything has gone wrong, when life has thrown you lemon after lemon... When you've made decisions that have had awful consequences, it's hard to keep going. And that day is going to come to each of us, if it hasn't come to us already. But when that day comes, we have a choice as to how we're going to respond, how we'll move forward. And on that day, we need to choose the path of faith, just like Ruth did. Her life was a mess, full of sadness. And in her grief, she sought God. Ruth chose to follow the person and move to the people who were able to help her connect with God. We should do the same when we're hurting. Because God comforts those who mourn. That's a promise that Jesus actually made. Bless for those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So when Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem, they were broken. They were mourning. They needed comfort. They were poor and alone. They needed food and they needed family. And they had neither. Ruth in particular was in a desperate situation. Not only did she not have a family, but she was a foreigner. It reminds us actually no less than five times in Ruth chapter 2 that Ruth was a foreigner. A Moabite how hard it would have been for Ruth. Hebrew would have been a second language. She wouldn't have understood the customs very well. She had no family other than Naomi to help. How was she going to find comfort? Where was she even going to get food from? How was she going to live? And so this is where Ruth 2 starts. A desperate, grieving woman and a desperate, grieving mother-in-law. But immediately, in the very first verse, there is a glimmer of hope. Ruth 2 starts off this way. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. It's a weird name, isn't it, Boaz? No <coughs> one you know anyone called Boaz? It actually means, in him is strength. It's a good name. Naomi, of course, would have known Boaz. He wasn't a direct, really close relative, he, of her, he was a relative of her dead husband, which made him what was known as a guardian redeemer. That's a really important cultural detail that we'll come to in chapter 3. But for now, the urgent issue for Ruth and Naomi was food. So chapter 2 continues. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So ancient Israel was an agricultural society with sheep and barley fields. It didn't have a centralised government with taxes and a state welfare system, but it did have the law of Moses given to the people by God, a law that helped Order the society in a way that promoted justice and allowed people to be pr- prospering and protected, particularly protecting the vulnerable, widows and foreigners. Ruth, of course, was both of these. In Deuteronomy 24 19, the law specified when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, don't go back and get it, leave it to the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so Ruth, as the law specified, had every right to go into the field to gather any leftover grain behind those farming it. (coughs) Ready, we we see there an image of a God who brings comfort. Ruth's coming to Israel, a land that God has set laws in place that allow the hungry and the unemployed to find comfort by gathering food. Out of all the fields that Ruth could have chosen as well, there's there's a huge coincidence, isn't there? She could have gone to any field, but by chance, the field she went to was that that belonged to Boaz. Of course, that appears to be chance to us, but it may not have been chance at all. I kind of get the feeling that God, His sovereign hand, was behind all of this. Do you think maybe that the Spirit had silently called Ruth to that field because he had a plan to bring Ruth comfort. And so the story continues. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Again, what do you reckon? Are these just coincidences? Boaz arrived at his field just after Ruth had arrived. And why did he notice Ruth? There were presumably plenty of other people gathering behind the men, but he noticed Ruth. Perhaps she was very beautiful and so she drew his attention but God created Ruth he made her beautiful so behind these apparent chance events of Ruth going to the field of Boaz arriving around the same time and Boaz actually noticing Ruth behind all of this is God's hand his fingerprints is there there are other little clues throughout the story that God's at work even comments like the overseer calling on God to bless Boaz suggest this. When the overseer said, "May God bless your device," this is actually a description of what is happening in Ruth. God's acting behind the scenes to bring blessings and comfort. It's there in so many places in Ruth. As an aside, I imagine you noticed how Boaz asked about Ruth. He didn't say, "Who's that woman?" He said, "Who does that woman belong to?" It's kind of a funny question to our individualist Western mindset. It reminds me, but it's it's probably actually not a strange question for people from most cultures throughout most of history. It reminds me of when I visited Papua New Guinea. I was there for seven weeks. And over there, there's lots of languages. And there's one language that the tribes use to communicate with each other called pidgin. And so when I was there, I learned some pidgin. And I was struck by the words for husband and wife. The word for wife in Pidgin is merit belong me, which means woman who belongs to me. And likewise, the word for husband is man belong me, man who belongs to me. Who we are connected to in relationships is part of who we are as individuals. Malcolm kind of alluded to that in communion. This is something that we forget in our contemporary Western world. But it's something that other peoples and other cultures understand much better than we do. Ruth's identity, like ours, isn't actually straightforward. It's not just her. It's embedded in who she was related to. That's actually the way God has created us to be. He created us to find our identity partly in relationship. Take, for example, the most intimate personal relationship of marriage. In the very beginning of the Bible, it's described in this way. A man will leave his mother and his father, and he'll be joined to his wife, and the two will become united into one. This reality that who we are is intimately related to who we're connected to is a deep truth of humanity, of being human. And perhaps that's why there's so much grief when we're alone when we're lonely without companionship. So although Ruth and Naomi needed food most urgently, they also actually needed the comfort of relationship and family. And already God was working on bringing that comfort to Ruth and Naomi through this chance encounter with Boaz. And so the story continues. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along with the other women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jar the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Then, later, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and some had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks. <laughs> For her from the bundle and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned until the evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. What an unexpected day Ruth was having. How surprised she must have been at the response of Boaz. Remember, it was usual for women to serve men water, and it was normal for foreigners to serve Israelites. And here was Boaz turning everything upside down when he said, And whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. It seemed like incredible kindness. And Ruth knew it was kindness. But Boaz saw something in Ruth. He saw how Ruth had remained faithful to Naomi. He saw Ruth's kindness. And that spoke volumes to him. I think he was drawn to Ruth's kindness, and that's why he wanted to show kindness to her. And why after lunch, he set things up so Ruth wouldn't go home with only a little. And that's why by the end of the day, Ruth had a whole ifar. Now How much is an ephah? Anyone have any idea? I didn't know. 26 quarts. <laughs> Did you just make that number up? And I don't know what a quart is either. Uh, a quart is about a liter. Uh, it's- <laughs> It's in the CSV. It's different translations. Just go ahead and make it easier for uh, English speakers. Awesome. So when I looked it up, I found out it was probably about 15 kilos. Mm -hmm. So she gathered 15 kilos of grain that day. That would have been backbreaking work, wouldn't it? That's a lot of grain to carry home. To put it into perspective, in ancient Babylon, apparently the daily wage for a man who worked on a farm was one kilogram of grain. And here she is with 15 kilograms. How good a day was it for Ruth? And in fact, how good a month was it? Boaz, in the course of his conversation with her, had invited her back every day to keep collecting grain. And so in doing this, he was actually giving her an opportunity to get set up for the whole year. A month of collecting that much grain would have given Ruth and Naomi enough grain to support them for a year with plenty of leftover grain to sell Ruth, this, this woman who had lost so much, who was so empty, was starting to be filled again, and it was it was God. He was bringing her the comfort because He cares for those who are suffering. He He cares for those in distress and comforts those who mourn. He shelters those who seek comfort under His wings. In Psalm 91.4 it says, "God will cover you with His feathers." And under His wings, you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield. What a beautiful image that is for those who seek comfort in God. When times are tough, when our lives are falling apart, like Ruth did, we can walk along that path of faith and seek protection under God's wings. And He will bring us comfort. That, that's the promise He gives and that's especially true when we're at our lowest point. <coughs> Jesus said this: "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." God cares in a special way for those who are struggling. He cares in a special way for those who have lost loved ones, those who have no protection, no one to care for them. They, they hold a special place in God's heart. In Deuteronomy ten eighteen, we read this truth about God. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and shelter. Ruth, of course, was all of those. Living in a land without a father, a widow without her husband, and a foreigner. Nowhere do we see in Scripture a better example of God's love in action for the poor and the weak and the lost than we do here. I understood this. Let me continue the story of Ruth too from where Ruth returned home that night after lugging her heavy 15 kilogram bag of barley grain. Ruth carried her grain back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what was left over from what she'd eaten. mother-in-law asked her, Where did you clean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law, about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He hasn't stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Naomi, Naomi must have been really excited when she saw Ruth returning home with such a large amount of grain. Naomi had been home all day, probably quite worried about Ruth as she attended to her household jobs. Anxious that Ruth might be harmed by an unscrupulous farmer. Worried that even if Ruth was treated well by the local men, that there'd be very little food for the evening meal and the following day. So what a beautiful surprise for Naomi. And she immediately understood that this was a gift, this was grace. Look at what she says. Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And then again, the Lord blessed Boaz. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. What do you think Naomi meant when she said he's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead? Who's the he that Naomi's is referring to? The husband? No, I could, to Boaz. Boaz. could be Boas? Could be God. Could be God. Mm-hmm. Couldn't it? Also oh, sorry. Man. Yeah, you oh, meant Boaz. Dem- yeah, dem- no, 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 you meant. The dem- dem- the heat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I've read this line before, I've always just assumed Naomi was talking about Boaz. In other words, Boaz show- showed his kindness even to those who like her felt that their life was over. But when I reread it yesterday, the more I reflect on these words, the more I think Naomi was talking about God. It was God who hadn't stopped showing his kindness to Naomi and to Ruth. God was bringing them relief and protection. Relief from hunger with food and protection with connection and family again. <coughs> That's what God's like. He cares for all his creatures. He has compassion on all those who are suffering. He cares for those who mourn. <coughs> he cares about you. God's good, caring, compassionate, and he brings comfort and protection. The Old Testament is filled with something referred to in theology as types. I don't know whether you've heard that term before. But a type is a person who is an example or points in some way to Jesus. Through his actions, he can be seen as symbolic of God. The person obviously isn't Jesus. He, he isn't God. But somehow he points or shows God and Jesus, so we understand God and Jesus better. For example, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac is kind of a Christ type. His story of about to being sacrificed by his father helps us understand better the sacrifice of Jesus. Or the story of Joseph can be seen in this light too. Joseph stood as a righteous man who in a sense was sacrificed into slavery with his coat dipped in blood and who through his sacrifice saved his people. I think Boaz can also be seen in this theology of types Boaz, a strong and mighty man that's how he's described was able to bring comfort to the mourners he was able to bring protection to those without a family Boaz lived the words of Deuteronomy he showed care and compassion to the fatherless, the widow the foreigner he brought the foreigner the widow to his table he ate with her and he even served her was was quite remarkable he was clearly a man who was faithful to God and he let that faith direct him in the way that he lived he didn't have to take notice of Ruth he certainly didn't have to offer her water abundant food and grain ongoing protection but he did do that and he didn't ask for anything in return that's a good man It's a man who lived his faith out. Are you like Boaz? Are you in a secure place in life at the moment? Do you have faith in God? If you answer yes to these questions, then ask yourself another question. Are you letting your faith direct and guide how you live? How you treat others? Are you a person who supports, who protects, who comforts? And is this what we are as a church? Do we care for the hungry, the homeless, those who mourn, those who are empty? Are we a visible demonstration of the God who cares for the poor and loves the outcast? That's the sort of worshipper that God desires. Because that's what God is like. He cares, so I should care. He's a comforter, so I should be a comforter. If you're not at a point in your life where you're like Boaz,'re at a point where you're like Ruth. And in this case, our task is clear also: walk towards God. Don't turn away from Him. Put your trust in Him. Don't seek security and comfort elsewhere. Don't be anxious or fearful, just patiently wait on the comfort that God gives you when you're under His wings. Of course, in reality, each person who knows Jesus is probably a mix of bias and group. I've got my ongoing struggles and sadness, and I've got hope and comfort in Jesus. And because of that comforting grace, I can find strength to walk on and to bring His comfort to others. And that's true for you too. like us to read Ruth 2 now.